You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a podcast supported by listeners like you. To contribute, visit patreon.com slash I Have Some Notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, Side Notes Edition. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I am Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing the worst movies ever. What makes them bad? What makes them unwatchable? Which ones we think fit that bill? Uh, lots of listener comments as well. We're very excited to get into this. Uh, yeah, how are you guys? How are you guys doing? Seen any bad movies lately? <laughs> No, ironically, I haven't. I've seen I've seen some mediocre ones, but uh, but not not ones that I would uh, put on the top of my worst movie ever list. I haven't watched one quite that bad in a while. Not since yeah. Blues Brothers two thousand. Uh, <laughs> wow, we were less than a minute in. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as Greg. I've seen plenty of mediocre films, especially for this podcast. But yes. uh, I haven't I haven't really seen like an absolute dud in a while. You know, you say Blues Brothers 2000, but I looked up Rotten Tomatoes' lowest 100 movies. Two movies we have done are on that list, and Blues Brothers 2000 was not one of them. Shocking. Uh, Jaws Revenge and Highlander 2. Who, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Call Mr. Tomato and tell him, add Blues Brothers to the list. Yeah, <laughs> that's Blues right. Brothers 2000. <laughs> Blues Brothers is a masterpiece. Hey, Mr. Tomato is his father. <laughs> Please call me rotten. Um, yeah, uh, I guess uh, this Greg had posted uh, to our social media feeds asking for some uh, discussion, uh, looking just for for a conversation starter about what your worst movie you've ever seen is. Lots of listeners commented, but moreover, it got us just really excited about the conversation, and we decided to record ourselves talking about it, because I think there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, One, Some previous Patreon bonus content uh, that eventually makes its way to the feed. Uh, We talked about the best movies ever. What makes a good movie? What do we look for in movies we love? And I love that this is kind of like the inverse. What what makes a bad movie? What, What do we not want in a movie? So. I can I can add a little context about where the conversation started. Um, sure, we I I had seen a conversation about uh, rise of Skywalker, and it, it's an idea that's been bandied about a bunch. But um, they were mentioning that the rise of Skywalker, relative to its budget uh, and the amount of talent that was working on it, is the worst movie. To ever be put on the silver screen, <laughs> there's That's, the biggest the biggest gap between talent and, and budget and quality exists in that movie. Very interesting. I had a similar opinion about that movie in going into this conversation. That's interesting because that was one of my examples in my notes of like we it it had no reason to be this bad. It's a bazillion dollar Star Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's movies that there's movies that fail for um, you know uh, 
lack of talent or budgetary reasons or inexperience, uh, inexperience and overreach of vision or whatever. But like for something like a big tentpole like that for it to and to be such a storied franchise and sort of like the importance to not only fans, but the studio itself for that movie to do well and for it to be so terrible is just like kind of epic. Mm hmm. That's interesting because that's definitely one of the rubrics for a bad movie is when it's something big that spectacularly crashes and burns. But then you also get like the other kind of bad movie, which is something that's on like a shoestring budget and it's a passion project and it's charming, but there's just like a lack of skill and talent all across the board and it ends up just kind of bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like watch watching any kind of amateur art, right? Like you're, you're you're here because you're my friend or my roommate or my cousin. Hey, clap, clap. Yeah, I got. I mean, I got my family to be in the movie because it's all I could afford. Yeah, yeah. you you guys have seen enough of some of the comedy shows I produce. You know that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I and to be to be clear about where like where I'm coming from, like I would not um, count those types of movies amongst like the worst movies ever made. Uh, oh, yeah. partly because like, a, that seems like excessively mean, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like everyone, everyone deserves, um, you know, a few mulligans on their path to being a much better artist. Right. So like, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick on my kids drawings at, uh, at four and a half <laughs> years old because they aren't great yet. Everybody's yeah. got a journey, you know, or, or um, even, even an experienced filmmaker taking a swing and a miss. Uh, I quite liked it, but it was, it was somewhat panned. This is by no, no means a bad, bad movie, but just like, sw- I'm just first example that comes to you when I think swing and a miss was 3000 years of longing. Yeah, okay. um, which like I I really liked, but I can totally see why nobody critics and audiences alike were like, "What? What is this? What are we doing here?" Um, yeah, there's yeah, there's something to be said about an artist taking a risk and like doing something out of the ordinary or doing something very artsy or high concept, and it not quite getting past the finish line. Mm-hmm. That I'd I'd put that in the same category as like that shoestring budget one in that yeah. it's it's still charming because you can see that there was a serious attempt mm-hmm. um and that's kind yeah. of different from like a big budget spectacular failure where often yeah, yeah. you can see how it was kind of uh hollow and it was like they were rewriting the script until the very last second and they were like the studio notes were coming in fast and furious they were just looking to try to squeeze more money out of it especially if yeah. it's a big tentpole franchise movie mm-hmm. and those are the ones where you can just kind of firmly point your finger at it and say yes that that was a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a, a movie that's going to come up a lot in our discussion tonight. But with what Scott just said, I, I want to make a comparison to another movie we've done on this podcast. The Room, famously one of the worst movies ever made, cult classic because of it. Uh, and if listeners recall, I had a real hard time with Don't Worry, Darling. I, it really bothered me how many things they set up in Don't Worry Darling, and then did not pay them off. To the point where I was like, what you're talking about, it's like, you are all talented, experienced professionals. How did this get all the way to the finish line and nobody thought to pay off the airplane crash? And I I compare that airplane crash, go nowhere thread in Don't Worry Darling, to the cancer line in the room, where the old lady's like, oh, I have cancer. 
don't worry about it. And it's just never brought up again. Um, and and <laughs> the same mistake, but that's an, a, a mistake you expect Tommy Wiseau to make and is part of the charm of the room. Whereas Olivia Wilde and all the people making Don't Worry Darling should have been like, no, at no point down the down as this movie changed hands. And they're like, what's with the with the plane, though? <laughs> yeah. Is that cancer thread going to go anywhere? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, some of our listeners will get to it later on that had mentioned The Room as, as the, the worst movie of all time. But I would argue that it's actually not even close. And, and not you even could, close. Yeah, you can you can make I, I, you could put it in that bracket that we had mentioned earlier about uh, a bracket of films that are just like young artists not really knowing what they need to do yet to make a good film and uh or just not having having the talent and um the the difference with the room is that this guy somehow had the the budget to make it like a, a big release and then it disseminated amongst the public most people who make films like that don't get that opportunity, right? No. Don't get to have that opportunity to hire actors and and do craft services and make sets and all these things that he did. And um, you know, whether he succeeded or failed in in his film, you can you can see that he's very passionate about what he what he made. And mm-hmm. I, I think that in and of itself has enough value to lift it above um, above Lots of other movies that are much, much worse. Yeah. That ironically have much, much bigger budgets and have much, much more talent. Absolutely. People in charge yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in striking this conversation, it reminded me of the time I went and saw a Q&A with Uwe Boll, who famously uh, made some of the worst video game adaptations in cinema history. Uh, it was a live screening or live screening, uh, 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 an event at a theater um, where they were showing his film Postal uh, that was new at the time based on the video game Postal. He did a Q&A after. And exactly what you just said, Greg, about like what defines success, thinking about something he said really got my my gears turning earlier today. Um, so someone had asked him like, hey, Uwe Boll, all of your movies are in the bottom 1% rated films on IMDb. Like, of all the films, of all the ratings, yours rank the, among the 1% of the lowest. And he goes, yes, but those are movies that have been rated. And for a movie to have been rated, a bunch of people have to have seen it. So I'm actually in, he said 10%. I don't know if this number is accurate, but he's like, I'm actually in the top 10% of movies because people have seen my movies. <laughs> um, whereas there's so many movies that have no rating because literally no one has seen them. And that got me thinking of like how impressive it is for an artist of any kind to finish a product, finish a project rather. Um, And there's almost like multiple stages of filmmaking that you can deem it a success. Uh, So like our friend of the show, Robin Slack and I worked on a movie together. We, we wrote it, we shot it, we edited it and we showed it to some people at a private screening we finished the project that right. That alone deserves a pat on the back. There are people that never finish their screenplay that never get the, the, the shots they need. And it, the project's yep. dead in the water. So phase yep. one, pat ourselves on the back. We got the movie made. Then you got selling it, getting it distributed, getting it in front of audiences. And so in the case of Uwe Boll, he's 
his movies get made. They're tied to video game franchises. They play at festivals. I bought a ticket to go see him talk. Like he sold tickets to his movie. Yep. That's a success. Pat yourself on the back. If people like it, that's kind of the third win. That's when it's a total success. <laughs> but even those first two successes are admirable and sh- should not be overlooked. The yeah. other Robin, who's a friend of a show, Cinematological, uh, has pointed out before, nobody really goes into making a film trying to make a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, the, these are all prof- professionals. They're all artists. And everybody's trying to mm-hmm. do well. And sometimes it's just that maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen, uh, that there's uh, maybe a lack of proper vision. There's a lack of motivation. Um like I'm thinking in that case, I'm thinking Peter Jackson and the Hobbit. He didn't mm-hmm. really want to be there, and you can kind of tell. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> or or any of those movies that are just like a quarter three slot filler, yeah. like yeah. I, RoboCop 2016, where it's like, look, make a thing to put in a the theater that we can sell some People, tickets to. The the yeah. millennials love their RoboCop. Make me a RoboCop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a board game I have called Roll Camera, and it's a, a cooperative filmmaking board game. And your goal is to make a a movie together. Uh, You're all playing different parts. You're all trying to manipulate the the set in order to get the shots, in order to make the shots, to get them in the editing bay, to edit a film, to make a film that makes points because it's it's got a good flow. It's in the right genre, stuff like that. And the rubric for winning the game is that the movie can't be mediocre. You either have to make a movie that is very good or very bad because if it's bad, it can circle back around to being good again. It can become yeah. a cult classic. Um, but you can't, you'll lose the game if it's just media, if it's a forgettable, mediocre film. It has to be really good or really bad. And I think that that's, that's kind of, uh, in a way, touching on that Yui Bowl thing, right? Like yeah. it's, it's so noteworthy that it's a, a bad movie, that it's got that charm to it, and you end up as like a cult classic. It's your rooms, your Rocky horror picture shows arguable about whether or not that's bad, but it's a cult classic for a reason. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you, when you can feel and read passion in a movie or effort, um, it, that makes it for one, it makes the movie more interesting um, Uh because you can enjoy it on different levels. um, uh, Whether it's trying to figure out what, the filmmaker was trying to say or how the actors are feeling saying horrible dialogue, even though it's, you know, there's, there's passion behind it or whatever. But when a movie is vacant and, you know, vapid, that's when it becomes much more, you know, those are the movies that I, that I enjoy the least, even if they're like technically okay in terms of like yes they put together a movie but like when it yeah, when it's, it's beginning s- middle and end that's right but if it's soulless um that's when i really check out um and that's when i'm really not having a good time and we've watched a few of those uh-huh. for this uh for this podcast um you know and, and, it, and those are always i think and we always t- say it in the show like they're the most difficult to get through uh-huh. And, yeah. and consequently, the hardest to uh, attempt to rewrite because when when you can't feel the passion in the movie, it's hard to have passion about it um, exactly. to want to yeah. create and to uh, remake and recreate it. Yeah, yeah. You're seeing that that like 
sort of awkward, earnest attempt is is the entire fuel of that website, Everything is Terrible. And I know that's not movies, but it is filmed content that they're showcasing and laughing at. Are you guys familiar with Everything's Terrible? No. No. No, it's, um, it, it, it kind of had its heyday, like, on the internet 10 or so years ago, but it was basically just, like, a collection of videos of, like, awkward training videos, weird, <laughs> like, uh, regional commercials, uh, just anything where it's, like, people have, people with a camera have pointed at people moving and published it in some way. Um, but it's all very charming. It's a lot of like, yeah, laughing at old, weird training videos and stuff. Right, right. Um, uh, the reason I bring that up is like that entire website runs on the goodwill of like people are trying their best and we're going to laugh at the the earnest failure. Yeah. Um, which is to say we've spent this last little bit almost talking about what we forgive, what, what are <laughs> transgressions that are <laughs> understandable and forgivable. So uh, to get to the meat of this convo. What are the unforgivable transgressions? What are the factors where you're like, no, this is bad and you should feel bad? Yeah. Um, I think pretension is probably, sure. is that number one yeah. on the list? Um, yep. Because like one of the worst theater experiences that I've ever had um, was watching Gus Van Sant's Last Days. Um <laughs> And if you're not familiar with that movie, it is um, a film that's a kind of supposed to be, I don't know, a retelling, a reimagining of, of the last days of Kurt Cobain, even though I think uh. the character, I don't think the character is named Kurt Cobain. Um, just to set the stage, like we, we saw uh, three of us uh, went to see it. Um, and my uh, one of my buddies was like a big Nirvana fan. So he was really interested in seeing it. We went to uh, the princess. I think it's the princess two is in the basement, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's like this in Edmonton. There's this old haunted theater. Uh, and the and it's got it like the 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 theater is like that. It's like like one of those old classic ones, nice balcony and everything. And then there is a basement to it, and there's a theater in that too. <laughs> and it's like a really tiny screen, dirty and dingy. I think there's like maybe like three rows of seats. Uh, you know, so already getting down in there is like ah, this is maybe not the most pleasant uh place to to watch a movie. And I think when we started watching the movie there was about eight of us there so there's three of us and and about five other people um i i think some people may be familiar with some of gus van sand's work but like um it, it can be truly truly off-putting and this one was one of the worst things like a lot of things that were going on in last days um really felt like a student film like there for just as an example like there's a moment where the character who is the avatar of Kirk Cobain, like trips over a bush and falls down on the other side of the bush. And then you just sit there uh, with a camera pointed at the bush for like three minutes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was starting to get so upset with like, you know, because like it just, it just felt like, you could make a, an argument for holding a shot for for, for a particular reason, but this really felt like he was making a to do of like <laughs> I'm really holding onto this shot for reasons. 
I'm not going to impart those to you, of course. <laughs> but I, the filmmaker, am showing you <laughs> like what I what I'm about to. And I just we we were there. We for some reason um, we stuck it out through the entire movie, and uh, everyone else one by one walked out. And the <laughs> only the only reason we didn't is because. The, we kind of it was kind of like a we were like locked into each other we were like well i uh, jeremy's not getting up and i'm not getting up so they must want to watch so i didn't want to leave because they weren't leaving and they didn't want to leave because <laughs> i wasn't leaving <laughs> so we all sat there and watched the worst movie i've ever seen in a theater damn have you guys what have you ever walked out of a movie uh like up and left i think i walked out of spice girls I think Spice World, Spice World, yeah. Um, and I also walked out of one of the Final Destinations, but that was not my choice. Um, mm. My girlfriend at the time was not having a good time with it, so I had to walk out. Um, That's fair. Yeah. So I, th- I think Spice World is the only movie that I've ever uh, ditched. You know, I, I was going to say I haven't, but I realized, uh, no, that doesn't count. It doesn't count. I basically, <laughs> I was trying to think, like, I'm like, I've never bought a ticket that I didn't just see through to the end. And I realized I only did that once, but it's totally unrelated to the movie being bad. I was went on a date with some, like, a, a Bumble hookup before I met Amanda. Um, we had a bit of a disagreement between... Uh, when <laughs> when we bought the tickets and when it was time to go into the movie. <laughs> and so I, I went and I was like, fine, whatever. And I watched the first like 10 minutes of this movie and was like, I'm not sitting here <laughs> like alone with this like weird documentary. <clears throat> it was a date idea. Yeah. So no, I don't think I've ever technically been like, I hate this and walked out. I have never walked out of a film. I have always stuck it out. Even if it was a film I was not enjoying. Because I paid for the ticket, damn it. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to consume your media. <laughs> I might have told the story on the podcast before, but I do remember seeing Doom. Remember the Doom movie? Yeah. Yep. Um, one of the guys I saw it with just as a bit, as soon as we left, he was like, we need to go. We need to leave. We watched the Doom movie. We need to leave. Let's go. And like as a bit, like hurried us out of the theater, like we needed to run away from our mistake. Yeah. You That's have told that closest. story before. Oh, shit. I remember that. No, no, but it's perfect <laughs> for this particular episode yeah. to bring it back up. So you, you both brought up like the experience in the theater. And this is something that we kind of floated a little bit uh, in, in the, in the chat has a movie theater experience ruined a movie for you. Do you, is there any movie that you've, that you, you think poorly of, but it was because the environment ruined it for you. I ask that because I actually, and I believe that it's possible for that to happen because Mm. I have had the opposite happen. I have Mm. gone and seen what in my brain, my brain tells me is a bad film, but I had a really good time with it because of the company I was with, the circumstance uh, which I was seeing the movie in, um, to relate the full story. And I I may have told this story as well on the podcast before. My buddy Neil and I, uh, in grade 12, we, we had just done so ages ago when dinosaurs still walked the earth. Uh, We had just finished one of our final exams. We had the rest of the day free. And he was like, let's go see a movie. And I was like, sure. And got nothing else to do. So we hopped on a bus and we went to West Edmonton mall, which was at the time, the nice theater in town. And uh, (laughs) we went and saw, we basically, we, because we had a window because we needed to get back to town 
to get home at some point. So we had to watch basically whatever was going to be showing next. And it happened to be Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea is not a good movie, you guys. It is it is billed as like a scary animal thriller about sharks. It's a shark movie. It is laugh out loud bad. It is hilarious. It is not good. It is mediocre at best. Um, we were one of we the two of us and like three other people in the theater because it was like a weekday, not a big release. Uh, we were like tossing popcorn at the screen. We were cracking wise <laughs> the whole movie, making jokes, basically MST three King this movie. Nobody told us to stop. The other three people in the theater just let it ride. And we heard the occasional chuckle behind us. So I like to think we improved the movie going experience for those people as well. But we had such a good time watching this terrible movie together. I think fondly of it. Like I don't, I, I would give that movie like an extra star just because of how much fun I had watching it, even though it probably doesn't merit it on its own. Like, Yeah. yeah. So I have to believe that the opposite is true, that you can have such a miserable experience at a theater that it just ruins a movie for you. You know, weirdly, the closest I think that would come, I am no longer interested in going to see The Room live. Uh, I <clears throat> I saw it once on in college on DVD or like somehow someone had it in a home. Yep. I went a second time to the theater when it was becoming to get that starting to get that Rocky horror treatment where there's like, you got to yell the thing at the time and you got to throw the thing at the time on a date with someone. It was a lot of fun. I didn't know about the spoon throwing. It was like, it was very, you know, the spoon thing was fun. The yelling. Great. A lot of fun. Then like another eight years later, I went and all of those memes have had like almost a decade to gestate and just turn into an absolutely unhinged, theater experience like where just like people are like screaming like meanwhile in san francisco <laughs> at the top of their lungs just like losing their minds like animals uh and and i do i pulled my phone out at one point to text someone and the usher came by and was like sir you need to put your phone away and i'm like <laughs> you're on football duty dude what do you mean put my phone away <laughs> there are people like hooting like apes at this film and throwing spoons everywhere and my phone is a distraction. I'm mm. not normally phone in a theater guy, but um, I guess that would be a theater experience that ruined the beloved cult classic The Room for me. <laughs> I don't ever want to see it with a crowd again. Those people are lunatics. <laughs> well, I've mentioned this before that I went to see Mortal Kombat 2 in theaters and um, it was terrible. Um, but what gave it an extra grudge was that when we got out of the theater, we went back to our car and noticed that someone had broken into it and I lost all of my awesome 90 CDs. So that movie <laughs> cost me not only, uh, probably $10 to see, but, uh, but maybe a hundred dollars in, in music. So <laughs> I hold a grudge against Mortal Kombat 2 for a lot of different reasons. Zero stars. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think it's, we're, I think we're back to being super nice. I want to, I want to the knives out. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to pull out a knife because it's funny you bring up Mortal Kombat 2. Mortal Kombat 2 might very well be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And it's partly because of disappointment. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Because Mortal Kombat 1, for its flaws, and it has them, it's been on this podcast. Um, yep. Yep. It's it's better than it has any right to be. 
Um, it's, it's actually a very watchable movie. It's got a lot of charm. It does a lot of things right. And I had high hopes for the sequel and I went and saw it opening weekend and it was miserably bad. It was, it was poorly written. It was poorly acted. It was poorly directed. There were bad special effects. They barely got any of the original cast back because probably they took a look at the script and went, nope. Um, (laughs) I'm not doing that. Uh, it is it is in my Mount Rushmore of bad movies, and it is because of the crushing disappointment. It was a terrible follow-up <laughs> to a movie that had some promise and could have been built on. Yeah. That's that's an interesting angle uh for the like what are the what are those transgressions? And yeah, I think disappointment is one and it can come from from a lot of places, whether it's like you're disappointed that a setup didn't get paid off. I'm still mad about the plane. Um <laughs> or like a franchise, like you're saying, like you're a big, you know, more you know, Mortal Kombat fan of the first one. Um, I have you ever has anyone ever been very disappointed by a trailer? Where like you got sold one thing and you saw a different movie and you almost feel like almost buyer's remorse. Cause there's two. I've been duped twice in the last decade where I saw a trailer and was like, hell yeah, let's go. And then I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I bought that hook, line, and sinker. Like yeah. nothing it, springs yeah. immediately to mind, but I want to hear your examples because maybe it'll jog the memory. So one was a a horror film called uh Mommy Dearest. Or don't okay. worry, don't worry. I don't. I think I'm just confusing you. Don't worry, darling. I think it's Mommy Dearest. I think. Um, I think I. I think I know which movie you're talking about. Yeah, and it's about a, a, a single mother with two twin boys, and the twin boys are very deranged weirdos. And the trailer really sells it as this like slow burn, a twenty four kind of creepy horror thing. Uh, and really, it's just kind of like not that scary. Like they really sold it on being a like like I remember that you know how like they'll put the pull quotes in the trailer. One of the pull quotes in the trailer was "It gets under your skin early and stays there," and it's like no, no, it doesn't. It <laughs> it's got a few scares. It's a little creepy. Some creepy kids doing creepy kid stuff. There's a twist. Eh. Uh, and then the other one was "Prisoners of the Ghostland," a fairly recent release with oh, Nicolas yeah. Cage. Saw the trailer, I'm like, this looks cool as hell. This is like my kind of movie. Like, it's weird. It's esoteric. There's big costumes, colors, camp. And then it was just like weird noise. It was just kind of like a lot of like, like all sizzle, no steak. That's really, and I just, it wasn't even that bad a movie, but I felt dumb for buying into the hype. And like, I don't, I don't like being duped by marketing. And that one, I was like, this is on me. I'm the idiot who, like, all oh, he said is what the trailer said. It was good. <laughs> uh, I can't think of specific examples off the top of my head, but I do know that there are, there's a lot of franchise movies, especially uh, in the last little while, they'll film stuff just for the trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes that stuff then does not make it into the film. And I would argue that that's kind of in the same vein where it's like, you sold me something and I'm not like, I'm opening it up and it's not what is on the picture. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, my example is uh, the inspiration for this podcast, which was uh, Man of Steel, because when I saw that trailer, I was left with the impression that what we were going to get was uh, Lois Lane like a movie from Lois Lane's perspective, following Superman doing 
superhero stuff across the globe and like her unpacking who this person was through her reporting. And I was like, wow, what a really interesting way of approaching Superman. And then the movie starts off on Krypton and just like is a big CGI mess right right from the start. They're like, what a way to start off your grounded superhero movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah, I I mean, nowhere, nowhere near the worst movie of all time. Um, but yeah, like I've mentioned mine, which which is Last Days is the, is the movie that I can think of that is as my most unpleasant viewing of all time. But uh, what are what are yours? Uh, so, yeah, mine is pretty unequivocal. Um, it's a it's a film from 2017 called Assholes uh, that I saw at Dead Fest back when Edmonton used to have a horror movie film festival called Dead Fest. Um, and it's it kicked off what I decided I was going to bring to this podcast. My take was going to be the, like the meta textual reasons for a movie's existence. Um, so kind of like you're saying about, uh, 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 being pretentious. Um, but really any like pretense in the truest sense of the word of like, why was this movie made? Was it made with ill intent? Was it made with, um, you know, a careless attitude like your, uh, rise of Skywalker's, and so Assholes came out in 2017. It's as poorly written, badly made, unfunny, uninteresting, and cringy as any other movie that you'd count among the worst. But the thing that I found really frustrating about it was this unbearably smug, douchey arrogance that just permeated every scene. And it reminded me of all of these like really obnoxious loser stand-up comedians. Not even stand-up comedians. I meant... <laughs> Uh, open mic comics. Mm. Um, if anyone's ever seen open mic comedy, there's it. It just attracts people who want five minutes in a microphone. Yeah. Um, and those people don't ever go far, but there's always new ones of them showing up at any open mic comedy thing you go to, and they're these like usually like twenty something young white men who want to go on stage and get a reaction. So they say awful jokes, you know, Hitler jokes, rape jokes, racist jokes. And then when the audience bristles, maybe with a few nervous chuckles, they're like, I got a reaction. I'm a comedian. Mm. Um, and either they stop going eventually. Cause that's not a really it, diminishing returns on, on making everyone bristle at Holocaust jokes or they figure it out and get better. Um, or they just keep doing it until like the community shuns them. Like all the other standups are like, dude, I don't want you on my weird show anymore. But they, they're never around for long is what I'm saying. Whereas this movie had all of that obnoxious energy, but from someone who never had to get a reality check because the guy seemed like daddy was rich. The uh. main, the main guy in the movie and the two friends, the two other leads just all screamed trust fund rich kids. Oh. Who like had all of those same terrible shock comedy impulses that stand open mic stand up guys have, but without having to reckon with like a live audience being like, no, dog, don't do that. Or like other comics being like, dude, don't make Hitler jokes. What? Or just like, dude, I don't want to talk to you. You're weird. Um, so this whole movie got it's a 90 minute feature film, got sent to festivals Got and and it just had that arrogance of five minutes of bad open mic stand up. It basically was a sketch comedy movie, um, where all of the scenes and jokes and gags were like, "How gross can we be?" 
how icky and uncomfortable can we make the audience? I watched the trailer before this just to remind myself all of the pull quotes in the trailer are condemnations of it. Like there's one positive thing where they're like one one of them says it's funny. All the other pull quotes that are in their damn trailer like this is the grossest movie I've ever seen. This is a deranged two hours of of weird nonsense. Um, And it's it's, they're they're trying to get people to hate watch it. Yeah, kind of hate watch it or like get these those same kind of attract those same kind of people like, oh, my God, they like birth an ass shit, baby. Uh, I want to see like just people with like the shallowest least sophisticated kind of humor and it, it, it like if they had just put it on youtube we could have been done with it it could have been forgotten about great you and your idiot buddies shot some sketches over the weekend and they're gonna die on youtube nobody gives a shit but this somehow made it all the way to the festival circuit and it's i was livid i was like this is truly garbage and i even tried to make sure i like wasn't pulling a helen lovejoy like, oh, gross. Oh, please think of the children. This is this is garbage, right? Like, you don't, you don't want to be the prudish old man who calls something garbage. Like, this is just filth. This is just trash. But it is. It was literally filth and trash. Um, so, yeah, I, I do not recommend the film Assholes. I, Google the um, trailer and you'll be like, oh, I can see. I can see what this this is. <laughs> if I was to pick a movie that I would consider amongst the worst movies that I've ever seen. Uh, it kind of takes off all the things where we were like, these are kind of no-nos. These are the unforgivable things that we don't uh, like to see in our films. Did you guys like Alien versus Predator? It's, I didn't like it, but I don't know if I hated it. I, I don't think I watched it for this podcast, right? No, I don't think we've done Alien versus Predator. Nope. Then uh, if I saw it, I have forgotten it. Well, that's fine because <laughs> Alien versus Predator doesn't hold a candle to Alien versus Predator Requiem, oh, which is yes. which is yeah. an abysmally bad movie. It is so terrible. It is nonsense. Uh, it it completely doesn't understand the franchises that it's trying to make a movie out of. Uh, it has completely unlikable characters. It has a story that is. Uh, very poorly put together. It makes references to the other good movies that are completely unearned in an effort to try to get you to be like, yeah, I remember that other movie. Um, it's poorly shot. It's it, you can't see half of what's going on because it's all let's let's have a dark alien fight another dark alien in a black environment. Surely <laughs> that will that will make for exciting action. Uh, it is it is bad from top to bottom. It is unwatchable nonsense and it was made as a money grab like very yeah. clearly it was it was a cynical decision to make oh let's have aliens and predators fight again because the last one made a little money no it's really bad you guys it is so so bad and it it hits yeah. all of those notches that of things that we hate that make a bad movie it is right up there on my mount rushmore of bad films <laughs> and it and it earns that spot is the George Washington on the Mount Rushmore of bad yeah. films for me. If I, I can yeah. nominate one more, have either of you seen splice? Yes. No, that's the weird. It's like a weird alien critter thing. Yeah. Like a couple, it's like the ultimate story of the stupidest scientist to ever live. Um, it is um, uh, gross. 
in just a, a way that um, is extremely off-putting. Um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely up there for me as one of the worst things that I've ever seen. Wow. Um, before we jump into listener comments, I do just want to sort of tie assholes back to some of what we were talking about uh, about the beginning, about the 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 intent, the metatextual context that this exists in. Before I watched the movie Assholes at uh, Dead Fest, I watched a, it was a double feature that night that I took in, uh, and I watched a film called Bad Black, which is actually free on YouTube, I found out. Um, it was the other Ugandan, or an, a second Ugandan action movie from the same people who made Who Killed Captain Alex, mm-hmm. and that is technically not a very good movie. <laughs> Uh, because they, it's made in Uganda with very uh, um, low budget cameras, you know, basic comes with your computer f- editing software made by people who are just fans of film, no training in any capacity other than maybe some of the martial arts stuff. And it was wonderful. It was such a such a joy to watch. People put so much love into recreating Schwarzenegger style action movies that it's like it's so interesting that it's like here's people making a movie not just on zero dollars but zero ugandan dollars <laughs> <laughs> and and making something so full of love and joy and entertainment and then there's and then the next movie i watched was this rich asshole kid with a budget 10,000 times what the ugandan guys had and he just used it to make like you know chlamydia Crass, up your nose jokes, jokes. yeah, yeah. Mm. it it was it was one of the one of the most bizarre double features i've ever taken in so yeah. so i do recommend look up uh um any of the ugandan uh movie scene uh bad black at least is free on youtube so but our listeners had lots of comments as well. Thank you to everybody who contributed. Um, we obviously brings out a passionate discourse when we <laughs> ask these kind of comments. So we got a lot to get through. Let's get into it. Just rapid fire off the top. Josh Scar of Talking Smack said the spirit. That was the, the Robert spirit. Rodriguez one, right? That has Vil- Billy Zane in it, right? No, no, that's the Phantom. You think of the Phantom. No. Which one is the spirit? The spirit was basically after... Um, Sin City. Uh, Sin City and the other Sin City, Robert Rodriguez was like, what if I just made more black and white movies based on comics? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And it's uh, it's pretty bad. Pretty bad movie. Uh, two and a half stars on IMDb currently. So, direct- Oh, it's directed by Frank Miller. It's, oh. Man. So, it's not Robert Rodriguez. It was Frank Miller. Oh, that makes way more sense. Because I'm like, why Robert Rodriguez does not make bad movies. Uh, <laughs> he might make mediocre movies you know he's got some spy kids under his belt but like he doesn't shit the bed profoundly and that's because it's directed and written by frank miller but done in the style of sin city right is yeah. it is it weird that i thought that josh was talking about the phantom with billy Zane? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i know <laughs> it's got They're the same very, vibe yeah i i guess because like isn't the isn't the spirit kind of set in like it's a period piece in sort of like the same kind of era as the Phantom. Yeah, and it's based yeah. on an old comic as well, right? So yeah, a neo noir super film. Yeah, super, so you film. can be forgiven for that mistake. Yeah. Uh, Zolgar says the room. Uh, tr- true, Natch. Um, yep. Though I've never, I, I'm embarrassed. To say I've never seen a Neil Breen movie. I've heard oh, quote you, unquote good. You things. need to watch one, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> they are a treat. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you could definitely walk away from a Neil Breen movie thinking that it was the worst thing uh, you ever saw. Uh, but you'll also be uh, completely and utterly entertained by it. So it's a real <laughs> mindfuck that way. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't recommend going to see the room in a theater anymore. It's just. Like it reminds me of the uh, the I think you should leave sketch from season three when he's like he's the silent performer and then there's the guys outside who are like we're gonna go nuts in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that is the audience at the room. Uh, Danny G says this is the army from 1943 is a musical comedy with few if any good jokes, few if any catchy songs, no real character arts, almost no plot, and a whole lot of blackface. Oh, yeah, kind of buried the lead good. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of, of racist trash, I have heard of a film called Mandingo, uh, that is apparently nothing more than racist trash that no one should watch. So, um, I am so sure don't that watch is, that movie. Yeah. I, it belongs on some Mount Rushmore of bad movies, just not any we've seen because we don't watch racist trash, but that's certainly try not to watch racist yeah. trash. <laughs> Andrew Craig says, Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. Watching it makes you feel like you are on drugs and you question every life decision up until the point, up until that point, and think maybe, just maybe, I'll die and this madness will end. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, I've never even heard of this movie. Yeah. Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. Um, Apparently, it's a 1972 American musical fantasy film. Uh, it has a threadbare plot of Santa Claus attempting to free his sleigh from the sands of a Florida beach with the help of local children. <laughs> uh, it, it, this is this is directly from the Wikipedia article. Atrocious acting, cheap production values, and a meandering long running time have earned it a fan following as one of the worst Christmas movies ever made. <laughs> Sweet. And that's saying something because there are a lot of bad Christmas movies. Spoiler alert, yep. a lot of you mentioned them in, in our, yeah, in our yeah. comments. Nathan Martin says, hard to say, as I get older, I find that I'm less hating on things. I can still see the faults, but somehow care less about them. It's weird. That said, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is a hard movie to watch. <laughs> it was really slapped together. A lot, yeah, think- it sounds like a lot of people our age were burned by Mortal no, Kombat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually agree with Nathan that like I also feel like my like my rough edges are are falling off when it comes to like hating things. Maybe it's because I'm doing this podcast all the time and finding finding the good elements of bad things and that helps a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, definitely when you get older, like you your 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 highs and lows get mm-hmm. you know even out. You don't uh, yeah you don't have as strong reactions to things. Well, and I think as we've matured as film consumers as well. And I don't mean to speak for all of us, but I think we kind of all agreed on this earlier in this episode. We've come to find that intention can carry a movie a long way. And if it was something made with passion, made with love, even if it's not good, like it's forgivable. Like you can see that this was an earnest attempt and you can at least like give it that merit. If yeah. nothing else. And and I, I do feel that that charm can carry a movie from being like just a one star dud to like two and a half stars out of five. Like where you're yep. like, you know what? They gave it an earnest go and I'm willing to give it like a like a, a thumb sideways. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Game for a Movie podcast commented, Mine is Yoga Hoser since it was made out of spite with the main people's kids and involved a Nazi, Nazi sausage. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't got to the to the Kevin Smith, late Kevin Smith stuff yet. Uh, the, you know, your Clerks 3s, your Yoga Hosers, even Jan Silent Bob reboot. And he's another interesting guy of like that, in, that, that meta text, that, um, that intent. And there's a guy who's clearly talented, very brilliant, but just over the years could not handle the criticism that he's he's just ice Kevin Smith has just isolated himself and and mm. more and more and more until he's just masturbating basically <laughs> um it's it's he, interesting yeah. uh that uh, this one came up actually because Liam has for a while now been pitching a side notes episode where we just kind of go through a deep dive into Kevin Smith's filmography because he desperately wants to talk about this the um, back nine the back nine of his stuff I, the 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 working title is we need to talk about Kevin Brackett Smith um. <laughs> uh, so like there's a little teaser. That's something that might be coming down the pipe. Cause Liam's really gung ho to do that one. So, uh, so game for a movie podcast, punch your ticket for that one. <laughs> yep. Harley says things. The name of the movie is things is the undisputed champ in most circles, but there's always a worse movie. Uh, yeah, I was unfamiliar with things. I had to go look it I, up. What do yeah, you I am. Fam- I'm familiar with it, but I have not seen it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard it's, it's, uh, excruciating. Yeah. Can yeah. Canadian film. Yeah. <laughs> womp, womp. womp womp. Not all uh, Canadian films are bad. You guys just, no, that one happens to be, <laughs> uh, Aaron Beaver says saving Christmas was so breathtakingly corrupt. My jaw was hanging open at several points. <laughs> Yeah. Saving Christmas. What's Cur- a a uh, a Kirk Cameron film? Oh, yes. Okay. This is this movie is all about prosperity gospel, and it is insufferable. Um, I've That's never like worse that- than a Hallmark movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's <laughs> um it's incredible. Like the, the selfishness and um. It's like it's sort of like a capitalist apologist movie for Christians <laughs> is probably the best way I could describe it. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah, it it's it's really hilarious in the sense that like there is a uh, there is a character who has the values of what you would expect someone to have in Christmas where um, they are anti consumerist and uh, they think that uh, Christmas has kind of lost its way because of of all the rampant consumerism around it and that character is wrong that and character kirk, is the villain <laughs> yeah. yeah and kirk cameron spends the entire movie explaining to him why spending tons of money during christmas is actually good and godly and it's uh yeah <laughs> it's a nightmare of a message and also a really poorly made movie on top of it so uh, we had a pretty good time with that one watching it for a bad night mo- movie night yeah, it's it, Hallmark Christmas movies are artistically bankrupt. This one sounds like it's also like morally it's bankrupt. Morally bankrupt. Yeah, yeah and it's not Very actually a Hallmark Christmas movie, but it's it's definitely trying to like ape the Hallmark Christmas yeah. movie. And I, so yeah, that, I am aware and I, of that. And I get yeah. I get that that it's doing that to try to draw people in because they're like, oh, it's a it's a Kirk Cameron. Remember him from Growing Pains? We're gonna watch a <laughs> a Hallmark Christmas movie with him. Oh no. <laughs> 
Laurie from our Discord says, left behind. Uh, is this another Cameron joint? Or it's just a, at least a weird Christ, Christian joint? This is the weird Christian joint. I don't think Kirk yeah. Cameron has anything to do with it. Left Left Behind is a series about like the rapture. Yeah. 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 Uh, continues, not only because it's a bad movie, it was a bad adaptation of a bad book, and that has to count against it. Uh, it could have just been an okay adaptation of a bad book, but no. It's actually insultingly pointless. Not to mention how many crimes against cinematography literate. Clothes falling from the sky from what would have been empty space? Big question mark. Cars stuck accelerating when the driver poofs? <laughs> question mark. Uh, running sequences that are reminiscent of the Monty Python running towards the castle scene rather than the intended tense moment it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. we'll be sure to avoid that one. I I, uh, I have also watched this one for a bad movie night. Um, I also, if you are into bad movie nights, I recommend it. It, it was quite hilarious. There's a YouTuber I watch called um, Renegade Cut who kind of, he, he, he watched them so I didn't have to. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I've watched those as well. Stu World Order, great name, says, without considering some pandering piece of politicized trash like Kirk Cameron movies, I would op- offer up a D-tier piece of poorly acted and shot trash like Blood Diner. The other one I haven't heard of, 1987 uh, horror comedy directed by Jackie Kong, starring Rick Burks, Carl Crew. Okay, so a bunch of people I've certainly never heard of. Uh, Plot follows two brothers setting up a vegetarian restaurant as a front for them to kill women and collect their severed body parts to resurrect the Lumerian goddess Sheetar. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 50 audience and and, um, not audience like a critic and audience it's sitting at about 50%. I I don't I don't doubt um Stu hated this one but yeah. uh, it seems like it's at least just a bad movie. Bad movie the, not a Yeah, the the Wikipedia says there is the reception toward the film has been mixed but it has become something of a cult classic. Oh, and that 57% approval rating is based on seven reviews. So <laughs> <laughs> Ian Bancar's PhD says Sex in the City 2 might be a contender. It certainly generated the best negative film review I've ever seen, in which my favorite UK film critic concludes by literally banging his fist on the table and singing International. <laughs> uh, once upon a time, uh, former guest uh, Sally Paulson and I uh, did a joint review of Sex in the City 2 for the, uh, the Edmontonian. Mm-hmm. Um, she thought it would be hilarious to drag me to see Sex in the City 2 as she was a fan of Sex in the City, and I had not seen any of it, nor had I seen the first one. <laughs> and uh, and I did not get it, as you would imagine. So it was it was a pretty fun time. Yeah. Nice. That that probably seems like a disappointment one, right? Where like fans of Sex in the City saw it and were like, oh, this sucks though. Yeah. A uh, friend of the show, Olav Rockney at Hugo underscore book underscore club over on X, uh, had, a, had some great insights that I'm excited to share. There are different ways for a movie to be bad. It can be low budget and shoddily made like The Room. It can be lazily written and condescending like Quantum Mania. It can be didactic, pompous, and pretentious like Crash. But to my mind, the worst way a movie can be bad is that it can be unkind, cruel, misanthropic, and bigoted. Um, yeah, yeah I think that's that's mm-hmm. valid. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'd rank The Conqueror from 1956 as one of the worst, worst movies of all time on that front. And Shallow Hal is another that might take the cake. I had forgotten all about Shallow Hal. Yeah, and for the record, The Conqueror, uh, if you don't recognize the title, is uh, the movie where John Wayne famously plays Genghis Khan. <laughs> uh, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. It's let that than Jason Alexander with a tail. Let uh, that <laughs> marinate for a second. Let that marinate for a second. John Wayne <laughs> plays Genghis Khan. Yeah, yeah. When it's it's just like so tone deaf and 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 mean um, and racist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tyler J. Borbeau says, I think the idea of worst movie has to be a combination of talent, money, and then how much it fails. A movie with a five-digit budget and no talent behind it or in front of the camera shouldn't have high expectations. A lot of people who are Airbender fans would, of course, argue about the M. Night Shyamalan film. It had talent, it had the budget, the source material, and it failed on every level. Another movie that comes to mind is Suicide Squad. The movie and the budget was there, and it was a colossal tragedy. Yeah, yeah, and this is similar to what we had mentioned off the top about um, Star Wars, right? Where the 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 gulf of you know uh, talent and and expectations of what that talent can uh, produce uh, ends up being completely subverted when you go watch the movie. Yeah, and it turns out to just be an incomprehensible mess. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, how are how is this director with these writers and this budget and this cast doing so badly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that we didn't touch on, and I just wanted to, before we close it out here, um, is the epidemic of what I would consider to be fairly vacant movies now as you know mm. as and and if i can get up on my big lefty soapbox for a second like i i i feel like we're in the the process of uh capitalism itself just completely ruining uh movies um you know we're we don't we don't really get a variety of uh movies certainly not in blockbuster form anymore right because they're they've they've they're all four quadrant uh, films that are, are that are meant to be all at once comedies, action, uh, and uh, dramas that appeal to the most people possible. So the the you know the the days of of uh, movies finding their their niche audience are over. The the studios are not interested in not in that at yeah, all. The, the mid budget movie is dead. Yeah, and yep. they've closed they've closed it off so that you know um, movies like Barbie, for example, that that um, really speaks to a certain section of, of people. Like that's an exception to the rule. You know, those those that just happens to be a movie that is excess, uh, successful and has something to say, in spite of um, the studios meddling right and and how they want to see it like i'm sure that they just they just wanted uh you know as uh, as many dollars as they can get off of off of a bankable franchise right yes i i don't want to get too off the rails with the barbie i actually watched a very interesting video today that explains the beaut like part of the brilliant success of barbie and they compared it to jaws and i didn't know this about barbie or jaws um but it might be a little less of the like exception to the rule that you're making it out to be um and more of a fact that they were like 
early on in the process, they realized they had a hit on their hands and put all their chips in to make sure it popped. And, mm-hmm. and they compare it to Jaws, where I didn't realize part of what made Jaws hit so hard was they hawked the book in the years leading up to the movie. They pushed the book really hard, and it was a number one bestseller. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Jaws was one of the first movies to be like, we're opening in hundreds of theaters on this day. Whereas even before Jaws, it'd be like, okay, it's going to play in New York and L.A., Seattle and Miami, and then it'll roll out into other theaters and it'll just kind of like roll out slowly across the country. Um, Jaws was one of the first ones to be like, this, whatever weekend, come see Jaws and made it feel like an event. Uh, And Barbie basically pulled the same thing where they're like, they knew they had a hit, so they went nuts on the marketing. Mm -hmm. They they were up there with Oppenheimer too, so. Yeah. Yeah. Which... In itself, I think, I think in a way that that actually spurred the the Barbie on a little bit too. Like I think those two movies really helped each other out. It it was yeah. when it became the Barbenheimer thing. Absolutely. Yeah, because it became kind of an event to like see both of them, and, which yeah, is and, which is interesting it, because Barbie again, Barbie you wouldn't have expected it to be the blockbuster it was, and Oppenheimer is a cerebral biopic about <laughs> yeah. about J. Robert Oppenheimer, you wouldn't have expected it to be a blockbuster either. Yeah. And yet somehow yeah. they elevated each other. They they did. This this video, I'll, I'll send it to you guys and put it in the show notes, cited the the luck with Oppenheimer. And one of the things that they think they this this video posits helped was that a bunch of dudes who would have, regardless of the marketing and the hype, would have just never gone to see Barbie but but like partnering it as this double feature event kind of gave permission to the most uptight you know cis men in the world kind of like permission yeah. to go you can go see barbie if you chase it with oppenheimer and that is part of why so many people saw yeah. barbie was like i saw oppenheimer and chased it with barbie and i will say sure I wish I had done it the other way around, <laughs> which is not to slag on Barbie. It was, it was a fine, fun movie, but I think, I think I would have preferred to have watched it first and then Oppenheimer second. Uh, well, I, I immediately regret bringing up Barbie cause it kind of undermined my point, but like yeah, in a sorry. summer, <laughs> in a summer with, uh, that was filled with, um, a lot of, um, poorly reviewed and, um, oddly poor performing, uh, movies mm-hmm. at the box office, Indiana like Jones. you know, yeah, Indiana Jones and and the Flash and uh, any number of of uh, superhero movies that really didn't uh, hit the mark the way that the the studios were expecting it, and 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 precisely that I think like like Olaf had mentioned like the you know Quantum Mania was sort of like written condescendingly and things like that like it's you know it's um, you idiots will lap this garbage up here yeah eat your, eat your yeah. trough slop pigs like, yeah, yeah there's there's kind of like a you know uh, there was a an air a, a long period where it felt like Marvel could do no wrong and that has uh, has obviously dried up um mm-hmm. you know and and you know maybe they're resting on their laurels a little bit but uh, you know it may be the case that you know when people start going back to those previous marvel movies that maybe um the rose colored glasses are going to come off and and you're going to see those movies in maybe a bit more of a critical light whereas mm. before we might have been just enjoying that ride because 
you know, it was it was fun and it was better than the other studio that was trying to crank out superhero movies, right? Yeah, I've, I've never seen five movies build towards one movie without necessarily being sequels. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like in a in a summer where you just kind of got the same movie over and over again, some sort of tentpole uh, superhero movie, like the the variety has really dropped out. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that suddenly in a weekend when you had uh, Barbie show up, which whose trailer was uh, very different and like you know uh, completely unexpected for what a Barbie would uh, movie would be to me anyway. Like it just like it just instantly looked like oh I actually want to see that. Uh, and then you have uh, Oppenheimer, which is um, you know uh, Nolan's a known quantity. It it, it provided it maybe a bit of relief for audiences who had suffered a summer of movies that didn't seem all that interesting. Like I'm going to go see fast and furious 10. Oh boy. The 10th uh, one, you know, a second Meg yeah. movie. Oh <laughs> yeah. It, movies are kind of samey now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like you, you kind of really set it off the top there when you uh, said like it's four quadrant stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's very broad, very inoffensive, very, low like the you don't you just need to sit back and let it wash over you um so having something different come along i think audiences are craving that right now Uh um people want to see something different because everything is so blandly the same at the moment yeah um People are tired of superhero movies. People are tired of formula of seeing the same superhero movie over and over again. Yeah um Give them something different. The The Boys is a huge hit right now because it's yep. different than anything that Marvel or DC was doing. Um, and like that's – that. If, if anything, if anything comes out of this episode, <laughs> it's give people something with heart. Show them something new and they will give it a chance. And don't just keep churning out the same slop as Liam put it. Because people get tired of it, yeah. I, I like I, I, I'm concerned that um, those days of of movie studios taking risks are over, um, yeah. and I feel like the uh, wheels of capitalism are now um, completely crushing uh, the art form, at, at least as far as like the blockbuster type movies are concerned. I don't think we're going to, you know, we're always going to get good movies, but they like the, you know, you're, you're probably not getting a new star Wars anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like there's the, you know, we're like, or one will come along, but it'll be years from years and years from now. Um, and then, and then they'll destroy it, which is ironic because you're all, you're going to get to the thousand franchise now. Yeah, which is ironic because you're going to get a thousand Star Warses. You're just not going to get a Star Wars. <laughs> That's yeah, you, and you know what I mean when I say that. Like you're yeah, not yeah. going to get a like a a, a transformational, transcendent yeah. uh, blockbuster that that comes out of nowhere and captures everyone's imagination because the studios aren't interested in doing They're, that. They, they need a known quantity. They want risk. properties. Risk is antithetical to capitalism, and it's yeah. unfortunate because that same problem is happening in every industry. Yeah. So, like, General Electric isn't inventing anything new, 
even though back in the day they were coming up with all sorts of like patents and inventions and and like that type of industry aren't putting money into developing new products that are risky they are like well how can we make sure line goes up and it's whether whether it's chemicals for kitchen appliances or art um the 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 people holding the purse strings want to know that you can turn x dollars into y dollars yeah with no risk and and a lot of what's happening now is is trying to figure out how to extract the most money from the people who just want to be entertained so you look at like the video game industry like the largest innovations in the video game industry uh, in recent times have been all methods to find ways of getting people to pay more money for games whether it was through microtransactions or through uh, early release uh, uh, subscriptions and stuff like that movie industry and the entertainment industry at large is almost largely the same like you think about that that brief period of time where we were all torrenting things and paying almost nothing for cable <laughs> and that is gone now and now we are right back to paying like $80 a month just on entertainment and like there seems to be it seems to be way worse now because there's no end in sight like there's so many different streamers you've got to try and pay for them all if you want to see everything because the they all have to compete with each other these streaming networks and studios um to have the most new content it's crushing the people who are working on these movies because they like like we mentioned earlier they all want to make a good movie but they are not given the time to be able to do so because they're being mm-hmm. asked to punch these things through so quickly. Um, and, you know, like The Flash is like the greatest example of that because like the, I feel really bad for the uh, effects artists who worked on that because, um, you know, it like the the look of that movie is quite frankly embarrassing and it's not their fault, not their fault at all. They were being asked to do way too much with way too little time. It's we're getting to the point where in order to watch really good, interesting new movies, you're going to be looking further and further afield yep. and it's going to be less and less from the big studios. It's going to be less and less on streaming services. It's going to be less and less on uh, in, in your big theaters. It's going to be more and more you having to seek out stuff at the art house or yeah. like the find it online. Stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to take the risks. Yeah. 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 So there's a disappointing uh, <laughs> note to end our episode on. Uh, that's all right. We'll be back with more uh, fixes for movies that, that could have hit that potential. Cause uh, as fun as it was talking about bad movies, mediocre movies are our bread and butter. And we'll be back uh, soon with uh, more Patreon content. If that's where you're listening to this or perhaps down the line on the main feed, uh, either way, we appreciate you listening and we appreciate you following us on social media, facebook.com slash. I have some notes. Um, instead of me reading them all, we've got a link tree on our website. I have some notes.com. Uh, the most important link on that link tree is to our discord where we have some great conversations with some of the folks we quoted earlier. Um, I've, I've been having a blast. We're a couple months into it now and it's just nice having a, a, a place to discuss film that isn't sandwiched between racist tweets. Um, <laughs> Yay. <so>, yeah. <laughs> 
And wherever it is you're listening to this, uh, whatever podcatcher you're uh, playing this on, give us a rate, a review, a subscribe, what have you. Yeah, uh, definitely head over to our Patreon as well. Uh, if you are listening to this early, you're already subscribed on Patreon. Go tell your friends. Check out <laughs> patreon.com slash I have some notes. Get them to subscribe as well. If you're hearing this sometime down the road uh, on the main feed know that our patrons got it early and you could have as well if you just signed up again that's patreon.com slash I have some notes yeah and of course if you are listening to us on the main feed we'll be back in two weeks with another movie review or side notes who knows what it'll be you'll have to check it out yeah, we, we're really flying by the seat of our pants right now because of all the strikes that are going on. So, <laughs> uh, Until then, I'm Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. <laughs>